The call came in at about 12.15 in the morning. And because calls at that time are unusual, I jumped up out of bed. On the other side, I heard my friend say, hey, bro, the baby's coming. And under any other circumstances, these words would have brought joy and enthusiasm. But this day was different. So I quickly got dressed. I drove two and a half hours from my home in Maryland all the way up to Pennsylvania. And I get in the car, my heart is racing. I'm, I'm definitely speeding. I'm listening to every worship song on the planet. Because here's what you need to know. Two of our best friends at the time, they were expecting their very first child. The problem was she was barely 23 weeks pregnant. And the doctors had warned them of some complications a few weeks before, but no one thought that it would come to this. I'm praying all the way on the drive. I'm listening to every worship song, begging God to intervene. I get there and the news was bleak to say the least. Doctors and nurses gave practically a 0% chance of survival. See, babies born that early cannot breathe on their own and they're far too little and too young to be hooked up to breathing machines. But we prayed anyway. I remember writing on the whiteboard, you know the whiteboard in the hospital rooms where it has the faces of how you're feeling, the, the nurse who's on shift. I remember writing on that whiteboard, God of miracles. As nurses came in with booklets on funeral arrangements. But we just knew God would show up. No, 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 it's not gonna go that way. God is gonna show up. Then came time for delivery. We all left the room except for our friends. Minutes felt like days in that waiting room. And then around seven or so in the morning, my friend comes into the room and he gives us the grave news. The baby didn't make it. And I could feel and hear our collective hearts just sink in that waiting room as we hugged him, trying to console him. And I didn't understand it, how? Why, God, we prayed. We thought that you were gonna do something. And a week later, I did perhaps one of the hardest funerals I've ever had to do as we buried baby Yadier. Can I tell you, coffins were never meant to be that small. And we were left wondering why. Perhaps the question that cuts the deepest and lasts the longest why? And it has surely hit us all at some point or another for many of us more times than we would ever want. So what do we do when it feels like God has let us down? Like we hear in church all the time, pray, 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 talk to God, talk to God. But for what if he didn't even care enough to answer me? Have you been there? Are you there right now? How can I go to God when I'm so angry with him right now, when he feels like the object of my ire and he's the last person that I wanna to speak to? When things fall apart, where do you go to pick up the pieces? When life delivers a gut punch to you and you are on your knees and it kicks you in the face and you're so desperately just trying to remember what air tastes like, how do I even fathom getting up back on my feet? Where do I go? As we unpack this this morning, I'm asking for grace. 
because I know so many of us are in a fragile place this morning. I'm with you. I'm walking friends through some of their last days, potentially. We got news of extended family members whose life was suddenly cut short. I mean, just two weeks ago, a friend from high school that was like the little brother to our crew was stabbed to death, senselessly just coming off of a bus in Wheaton, Maryland. And I know so many of us in a place and are wondering, God, why, where are you? How do I even talk to you? And some of us, we're still stuck in a past pain that we don't even realize we haven't healed from yet. No matter where you're at today, friends, I I want you to know this. I'm not speaking from theory. I'm not speaking from biblical concepts that sounds nice from a stage. No, 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 listen to me. I'm speaking from something that I've seen, something that I've lived, someone that has transformed me. Whatever you're carrying today, that may feel like a 500 pound barbell to your soul, can I tell you today, this about your God, this about the God that we believe in, this about prayer, that we can trust God with our deepest pain and brokenness because he is with us. Listen, the Bible isn't fairy dust that we sprinkle on the moments of our lives to make the pain go away. No, no, it is not that. Prayer isn't just the thing that we do and say, God, yeah, I, I know you're there. Can you please fix? No, it's none of that. Prayer is not something we do. Prayer is someone that we are with and his name is Jesus. And as we jump into this story, In John chapter 11, I know so many of us are are, are licking and listening to this through the lens of our own pain, but Ricky, you don't know my marriage is falling apart. You don't know how how this loss of my loved one is affecting me. You don't know the depression. You don't know the thoughts in my mind. You don't know what they said about me. You don't know what that relationship meant to me. I get it, I don't know, but I serve the one who does. And you can take it to him this morning. As we jump in this story, I'm gonna spoil the end for you. Lazarus dies and Jesus steps onto the scene four days later and raises him from the grave. It's the last of seven miracles that John's gospel, the book of John, will show about Jesus. John writes seven miracles or seven signs in the book of John, all to say something about who this man Jesus is. Why? Because seven in the Bible is this number of completion, this number of wholeness and perfection. So he's alluding, he's showing us something about God, that he is the God of everything. He's saying about Jesus, he is who he said he was, and you can trust him. And as we wrap up this short series on prayer, I hope that it hasn't gotten lost that prayer is personal because prayer is a person. His name is Jesus. Every week we've been talking about an aspect of prayer. It's not some message in a bottle that we send across an ocean hoping that God gets it. No, it is a God who draws near to us who says, I'm here, talk with me, walk with me, I'm with you. No matter what season you are in life, celebration or suffering, I'm with you. And John makes this clear in in the very first sign that he alerts us to in the book of John. Do you remember that one? Jesus turns water into wine. Come on, y'all, this isn't Franzia, slap the bag type of wine. (laughs) This is vintage Cabernet. 
He's saying something. It's, it's the pinnacle of human celebration. It, it's a wedding. And in the other hand, the story that we're going to talk about today, probably the depth of human despair, a funeral, a wedding and a funeral. And John is saying to us that he is the God of both, that in celebration and in suffering, he is present. He's with you. Throughout today, we're gonna wrestle with how do I pray? How do I talk to God when he's let me down, when he didn't show up when I needed him? How do I give God my pain, my hurt, my loss, my grief? The Bible calls this process lament. It's a passionate expression of grief and sorrow, but the world usually ends there. But here's the difference between biblical lament. When you're a Christ follower, lament also moves from sorrow to praise. So let's read together. If you've got your Bible, your Bible glows this morning, turn to John chapter 11. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sister sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. Pause right there. It's exactly what we talked about two weeks ago when we gave you the acronym ACTS, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication, a way to talk to God. This is that S, supplication, asking God, requesting something of God. And they said word to God, God, the one you love, Lord, the one you love is sick. Lazarus is sick. And there's a nugget there on how we come to God. Notice that they don't appeal to Jesus based on Lazarus's goodness. Like if that's me and I'm asking Jesus to come on my behalf, I am pumping up the, the, the situation. I'm like, hey, Jesus, you know me. By the way, uh, your, my brother, your boy Laz, he's sick. But listen, you know Laz, you love Laz. Laz has got a uh, 802 credit score. I mean, he's a good guy. He's never been in a fight, Jesus. I mean, he was in one, but he lost, so it doesn't count. Jesus, he comes to both services. He, he watches the kids in the 915, and you know those kids are ratchet. And he is such a good guy. They don't say any of that. They say, Lord, the one you love is sick. Family, when we speak to God, we can speak courageously as a children that he loves. Hebrew 4.16 says, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. We don't have to come to God with flowery language or pitch our voice down so he takes us seriously. No, 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 listen to me. You are a son, you are a daughter, you are the one he loves. We don't appeal from our goodness. We speak to who he is, love. Verse four says, when he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed there two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. Jesus says, this sickness will not end in death. But we know Lazarus dies. If I'm the disciples or Mary or Martha later on, I'm replaying those words in my head, right? Like, I don't know about y'all, but I'm petty. Come on, any petty Christians in the room? All right, don't raise your hand. It's okay, you wanna lie in church today. <laughs> I am petty. You can call me Petty LaBelle, right? Like as soon as Jesus shows up at that funeral, I probably would have got kicked out of the Bible. Uh-oh, look who it is. Mister, I'm 15 minutes away, but I ain't even showered yet. Not ending death, huh? He's dead. And you're going to not end up getting a to-go plate at this repast for showing up here late, Jesus. I'd have been upset. 
But we know God is a man of his word, and if he said it, it will come to pass. But listen, oftentimes it's our version of the promise that gets skewed. Verse five says, because he loved them, he waits. How can those two things be true? It's like oil and water. He loves them, he waits. Come on, raise your hand if you love waiting. Nobody, okay? Nobody. Nobody loves waiting, right? I hear wait, and I'm like, okay, God, who am I fighting? Because somebody's gonna have to catch these hands. I'm triggered. Family, can I tell you this? Harder than a yes or a no from God, depending on what you're praying for, is when God says, wait. Are you in the waiting room of life this morning? Even harder than a wait is when you feel that he says nothing at all. You feel that? Have you been there? When it feels your prayers go no higher than the ceiling? But a pastor that I love, he used to say this, everyone wants to see a miracle, but none of us will ever sign up for a situation that necessitates a miracle in the first place. See, God will hear our prayers. God loves when we speak to him. God will hear our prayers and expectations, but he is God and he answers our prayers in a way that we don't always understand or agree with. And I know what some of you are thinking. Well, here you go, Christian boy. It's the old God works in mysterious ways. And I know for some of us that haven't traveled and haven't journeyed with God, it feels like a cop-out answer. It feels like a lazy response. If you don't have the longevity of walking with Jesus to see it become a reality, but many of us have, and I'll encourage you with this. If God met all of our expectations, he would never have a chance to exceed them. If Jesus would have shown up when Mary and Martha wanted him to, they wouldn't have seen a dead man walking. We're gonna jump to verse 17, but in between, Jesus tells his disciple, hey, Lazarus is asleep, I'm gonna go wake him up. And the disciples are like, Jesus, if he's asleep, let homeboy get some rest. He's sick, he's not feeling good. And Jesus is probably looking at them like, what? Like at, at God the Father, like, really? These are the ones you sent me? Please, really? These, these are the best 12? These fishermen are looking real fisher price right now. You boys are silly. He's dead, and I'm going to go wake him up. In verse 17, it says, on his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem and many Jews had come to Mar Mary and Martha to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Mary comes in hot, but it clues us into what lament looks like, what prayer looks like. And from here on out, I'm gonna use those words interchangeably, prayer and lament. She says, if you had been here, friends, prayer, lament, it's coming to God honestly with our hurts, heartbreaks, disappointments, and our loss. God, there was no reason that I should have lost that job. Why did you take that from me? God, I've done everything that you've asked and my parents still got that divorce. How could you take my loved one? How could you take my friend from me like that? But it's when we come to God openly and honestly that we get to see him at work in the depths of our heart and in our soul. For me, it was when I worked step two in our 12 steps that we offer here and restore. And there was a question there that marked me. Some of you heard this story before, but there was a question that marked me. And there was a question that said, describe a time when you feel like God let you down. 
And I did the Christian answer thing, right? At first, he's never let me down. We sing about it. He's never let me down, right? And then the Holy Spirit was like, hey, Ricky, can you just be honest for a second? And instantly, the memory came to mind of being five years old at a friend's sleepover and being sexually molested by his older sister. And I began to weep as I pictured that little Ricky saddened by all the ways the enemy would twist his story from that moment. And I wrote in my journal to God, how could you let that happen to me? You were my best friend. Where were you? And friends, in that moment, I cannot make this up. I felt the Holy Spirit more real than this music stand in front of me. And he just enveloped me and hugged me as I wept. And I felt the Holy Spirit just say, I'm proud of you. You finally let it out. And he said, Ricky, I was with you. And it hurt me too. Friends, when we lament, we aren't hurting God's feelings. He's a big boy. He can handle it. We are actually trusting him with the things that far too often end up defining us for the worse, our pain. And he knows what we don't, that, it, that pain left unchecked will morph and multiply into something so septic to our soul you don't have to run to another bottle. You don't have to run to another needle or to your dealer for another loud pack. You don't have to run to the arms of another stranger or to the bed of another person. You can actually run to Jesus, broken, messy, honest. The truth is that God can't heal what we don't reveal. And prayer is coming to God honestly with our hurts, heartbreaks, our disappointments, and loss. Listen to what Martha says in verse 22. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask, speaking to Jesus. Friends, that's the kind of faith that I want. That's the kind of prayer life that I want. God, this, this isn't what I want. I wouldn't wish it on my worst enemy. But even now, in the middle of my pain, as I'm treading this ocean of tears, even now, may your will be done. Verse 23, Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha answered, I know he will rise again. In the resurrection of the last day, she's talking about their belief of resurrection way off into the future. And Jesus says, no, 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 listen. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? And she says, yes, Lord. I believe that you're the Messiah, the Son of God who has come into the world. See, Martha, in her honesty, in coming to Jesus, honestly, is invited into a deeper revelation of who Christ is that she otherwise would not have had. See, prayer, lament, is also God reminding us of who he is. In this conversation with Jesus, this prayer, if you will, her honestly open, opening up, she steps into the character and the nature of who God is. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing me will never die. Do you believe this? I get goosebumps just reading it. And she says, yes. Can I tell you something? The miracle wasn't just that Lazarus would be resurrected. 
It was a revelation. The miracle was a revelation of who Jesus was, is, and will always be. The savior who came for us. The reality that death no longer wins. Listen, the miracles that you and I are praying are amazing. They're powerful. In fact, they bring us into relationship with God when we trust him with the biggest and deepest and hardest things in our life. The miracles that you are praying are good. You should pray more of that. Pray more of heaven on earth. But listen to me. God would have still been God if he let Lazarus stay in that tomb. Jesus would have still been Jesus. He is still Lord, whether he shows up the way we want him or not. And when we pray, we are reminded of who he is, Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last, the one who was and is and is to come, the firstborn from among the dead, the one whose name is faithful and true, the one who is with us. And that is a great place to give him some praise this morning. Somebody got it. Spoiler alert, another spoiler alert. I know I sound like a Marvel YouTuber. <laughs> Lazarus would eventually die a second time. I know the Bible doesn't say that, but it's obvious, right? He's human. He's going to die. He dies a second time. So we know that the miracle was much bigger than him just being raised from the, day that day, that, from the dead that day in Bethany. Jay Pathak puts it this, one, this way. Everyone you know that has been healed is going to die. I hope that brings you comfort. <laughs> but listen to me, it's true. Everyone that you know that has been healed is going to die. So since that is true, maybe it's not the miracles that we live for, but rather a deeper relationship with God in the middle of our sorrow. Can I tell you something? Did you know that Jesus didn't heal everyone that he came in contact with? If you've read your Bible, Jesus doesn't heal everyone. In fact, there's this crazy story. He's at the pool of Bethesda. There's probably hundreds of sick people around him, hundreds of people needing miracles, and he, miracles, and he heals one guy, one person, one person who's been disabled for 38 years. And you know what he says to that guy after he heals him, after this man gets up and walks? Uh, verses later, he comes up to that guy in the temple. He says, hey, listen, love that you're using your legs. Love it. But listen, can I tell you, there's a fate far worse than being lame. So stop sinning. What is he cluing us into? That he came for our souls, not just the physical things that we can trust him with. Listen, I know that we want the miracle worker, but can I tell you, we trust in the Messiah, the one who came for us. The real miracle is a transformed life. The real miracle is a transformed eternity when we accept Jesus. It's why Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 to 14, listen, because of Jesus' resurrection, we don't grieve the same way the world grieves. We have hope. He says we don't grieve the same way that the world does because we know that this isn't it. So come suffering, joy, pain, or, lo or loss, and even death, my God is not finished. See, prayer and lament is God reminding us of who he is. Mary, Martha's sister, eventually comes out, and a lot of those mourning come out with her, and she echoes some of the same things that Martha says. She says, Jesus, if you had been here, this wouldn't have happened. And when Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Verse 35, Jesus 
wept. Side story, our five-year-old Zion, he has this weird relationship with death. Like, don't think my son is Damien from the horror movies. Like, that's not, that's not it. But like every five-year-old, he, he, like death is like the equivalent of a high five. He doesn't get it, right? And one time uh, our dog trainer came over because uh, we needed one. We had this crazy Vishla puppy and uh, our dog trainer came over and Zion's at the table and he's playing with his dinosaurs. And the dog trainer comes and says, uh, hey, uh, oh my gosh, I love dinosaurs. You love dinosaurs too? And he's like, yeah, I love dinosaurs. And he asked her, he says, which one of uh, the dinosaurs is your favorite? And um, this poor woman who didn't know what she was walking into says, uh, a Brachiosaurus, I love the long necks. I love the Brachiosaurus. And Zion pauses, and he's playing with the dinosaurs, and he says, you know all the dinosaurs died. <laughs> like straight face, stoic, just like this. Like not, not an emotion on his face. He goes, you know all the dinosaurs died? Yep, dead. <laughs> Meteor hit them, gone, extincts. And this poor woman, she's like, for five seconds, she has, her jaw is to the floor. She has no idea what to say, what to do. And I'm just back there laughing. Like, I am laughing. I love awkward moments like this. And why do I say that? Listen, I say that because sometimes I think we read the Gospels and we conjure up this visual of this stoic, emotionless Jesus. Like Jesus, who did miracles the same way, like a, a deadpan cashier who's waiting for their shift and uh, uh, would. You get a miracle. You're healed. Get up and walk. No, this verse actually gives us insight on the emotions and the humanity of Jesus. It says that he was deeply moved and Jesus wept. It's the shortest verse in the Bible. In fact, growing up in church, if you grew up in church like I did as a church kid, our, our Sunday school teacher would be like, hey, all right, uh, before you get your snack, if you want to get your snack, you have to say a memory verse. And I'd be like, Jesus wept. Lady, give me these Dunkaroos, right? <laughs> this is what I would use. It's the shortest verse in the Bible, two words, but probably one that so deeply and beautifully connects us with the heart of God. It weaves his divinity with our humanity, his wholeness with our brokenness, and he sees the condition of Mary and Martha and their family and their friends, and it breaks his heart. Even though he knows he's about to raise Lazarus from the grave, he sees those weeping and it breaks him. Listen, y'all, this isn't one thug tear. This is sobbing, grabbing every tissue in the room and weeping. Lamenting is mourning. And some of you are like, Ricky, that's obvious. But hear me, lamenting and praying as a Christian doesn't mean you drown your emotions with Christianese and trite, say and trite sayings. Like, can we stop doing that for a second? Everything happens for a reason. Please do not say that to people when they are mourning. There is no reason two-year-olds die from cancer. There's no reason people unexpectedly uh, die out of nowhere or the tragedies that happen are in our life. There's no reason that these things happen. We believe in a God that can work in the midst of that and, and after that for sure, but there's no reason or rhyme to it. We live in a broken and fallen world where there's chaos. Notice Jesus doesn't say, hey, stop all that crying. Hey, I'm... Why are y'all crying? I'm gonna, I'm gonna raise him from the grave anyway. No, 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 Jesus weeps. He mourns with those who are mourning. Romans 12, 15 says, rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn. Friends, what has happened to us as a society that we have stopped mourning? Specifically to those of you in the room who follow Jesus, where we have stopped mourning and started simply banging the drums of politics and stances 
Somewhere along the way, we've lost the heart of God for a broken world. Carlos Whitaker puts it this way, don't stand on issues, walk with people. Friends, hear me clearly, and I'll step on toes this morning, that's okay, but listen to me. Jesus weeps when a gunman kills children in an elementary school. He doesn't say, well, the real problem is da-da-da. Jesus weeps, and so should we. Jesus weeps when another teenager falls to hopelessness and decides to take their own life. Jesus wept when you were sexually abused. He weeps at the injustice and the effects of racism. He weeps at how casually we have taken human life. Jesus weeps, and so should you and I. You know what mourning does? It keeps your heart soft to the brokenness and hurting people around you. But I get it, we so badly wanna self-protect and not feel, right? We wanna be tough, right? We wanna be tough, we wanna act like we got it all together. Man, anytime I see a tough person, I pray for them. Anytime you see a person that's like, man, I, no, nothing can bother me, I got this. I just see a person that hasn't really taken their pain to Jesus yet. Because when you do that, he will soften your heart for the world around you, for the people around you. I used to be somebody, I'm like, I don't cry at movies, I don't cry at anything. And God has broken my heart over the years as I followed him because that's what happens as we follow him. We learn to mourn and not let our hearts get hardened and cold. And we don't die on hills of politics and platforms and issues. We walk with broken people and messy people because we know I am one. Prayer is mourning, and it keeps us reliant on who God is, knowing that one day he is coming, and at the end of human history, God will make everything right. Revelation 21, 3 to 4 says, listen, he, you will have no more use for the son because he will be our light. It says that he will wipe away every tear. There will be no more pain, no more brokenness, no more pain, for the former things have passed away, it says. But hear me, knowing that this day is coming doesn't minimize our pain or our lament, but it does mean that we know one day everything will be made right. And until then, you and I can bring more of heaven on earth and walk with people. Jesus says, take me to the tomb. They say, Jesus, it's been days, there's probably gonna be a foul odor. He says, didn't I tell you you're gonna see the glory of God? Verse 41, he says, so they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you heard me. I know that you always hear me, but I said it for the benefit of those standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. He's saying this for you and me. He's saying this to clue us in. Listen, when you talk to God, you can trust that he hears you, that the Father hears you. Verse 43 says, and when he said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out. His hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Homeboy was looking like a mummy. <laughs> Jesus said to them, take the grave clothes off of him and let him go. Lastly, lamenting prayers, trusting God's track record and his character. See, Jesus came through and Lazarus busts out like the thriller video. But the thing that kept this from being a parlor trick or a cheap flash in the pan mojo miracle was Easter, it was the resurrection. It was Jesus having the victory over death, hell, and the grave. See, the reason you can trust him with your emotions, with your hurt, is because he already won. Because he overcame our suffering by entering into it and defeating it on the cross and resurrection. On the screen, you'll see a picture of my friend Mike Papali and his wife Kay. And some of you know Mike Papali. 
And in the natural, Mike is dying of cancer. Mike has been a part of Gateway for several years as a volunteer, as a leader, and eventually joined our staff. And what you don't know is uh, he worked unpaid because he worked uh, for the IRS. And he jokes, if Jesus called Matthew a tax collector, he can, there's hope for me, he can call me too. But Mike was as tough as they come, is as tough as they come. Mike was an army ranger in the special forces, later in the DEA, so he's seen a lot of life and a lot of death. But it hasn't made any of this any easier for him, his wife Kay, their daughter Una, his sons Sammy and Luca. And as a church, we're walking with them, we're praying with them, we're grieving with them, we're there with them, and it has been hard. And listen, we have prayed for physical healing and we continue to pray for it, but we align our hearts with the heart of God, and we've seen his goodness and mercy through all of it. Two weeks ago, I was with him, and I asked him, Mike, can we record you? Because before he got sick, I was working with Mike so he could be able to teach and preach to some of our locations and to some of our people, and it never materialized in the way that any of us wanted to. But I wanted to give my friend a gift of speaking to all of you as his earthly life seemingly winds down and the horizon of eternal glory comes closer, hear the words, the faith, the hope of man who didn't ask for this, but whose faith has never been stronger. There are so many emotions that I've been going through since I got the news that my cancer would be terminal. Bewilderment, you know, just not grasping what, what's going on. Anger, you know, I, I, I went through, through anger with God. There have been a lot of times where I don't feel him at all. You know, sometimes I just feel like, hey, it's the least you can do is be close to me. It's hard, it's hard to, to stay close to God sometimes, you know, because we have situations in our life where you have no reason to stay close to God, or you could just turn the towel in like, oh, I'm done. And I finally landed on joy, even though I, I, it's not what I want. He's always gonna be there for you. No matter where you are in your life, no matter what you're doing, he's always going to be there. So staying close to him, I think it just brings an added joy, an added just a sense of of, of completion. That that even if if you win or or you lose in whatever it is that you're doing that there's someone there who cared the whole time, who was interested, who felt your pain, your joy, because he cares about each one of us. Then he truly cares. And you don't get that from people all the time. But you do get that from him. And it's genuine. 
This is really hard. I never thought that I would be this guy, but I have such a sense of joy and peace. I feel ready for whatever is coming. I still believe that God is the God of miracles. And that maybe there's one more in their bag for me. And so I just pray that whatever someone could get out of my story, out of my situation, that it helps them see God that it brings them closer to God. Because that's all I wanted, was to see more people come closer to God. Even before this. There was a dry eye in that room as he shared that. The best parts were probably off camera as he spoke to many of us there who were on staff and he simply said, hold on to him. It was like his eyes got big and he said, everything that we believe is real. And he said, I've, I, I can't explain it to you. I have never felt closer to Jesus than right now. Friends, he's with Mike, and he's with you, and he's with me. And I know we've done this throughout the message, but I want to give you just another tool in your prayer life on how do we lament, how do we talk to God. This next screen, you can take a picture of it if that's helpful, but we want to let you know it's in this week's Digging Deeper. You can read it through Psalm 13, but it looks like this. We've done this together. Stage one, we direct our discussion to God because he's the one who hears and wants to respond. We say, God, I need you in this moment. I don't understand why this is happening. Stage two, we describe our pain and doubt and fear. God, my friend Mike is sick. He is dying. He is unwell. We are unwell. Can you heal his body? Can you heal him? Stage three, it's depending on God. This is where our prayer of lament shifts from complaint to us reminding ourselves of the good news that God made a way through his son, Jesus, and that he is faithful. It's what you heard Mike do. I don't want this. I never thought this would be me, but I landed on joy. Stage four, we dwell on God's faithfulness in character, no matter our circumstances, we know that God is kind and he's love and his character is true and we can lean into him when life is hard. And we can trust him. I texted Mike this morning, reminding him that we were playing that. And he said, if one person comes to Jesus from my story, it would have been worth it. As we wrap up, I want to show you this. Listen, the other beauty of Lazarus' resurrection is that Jesus tells him, take the grave clothes off of him. I wish I could do a whole message just on that. 
In other words, you don't have to live in bondage anymore. You don't have to be trapped by your old ways or your addictions or the things you did to hide the pain or to stuff down the pain. There's new life in Jesus. Listen, and today we are baptizing people in the courtyard and it is gonna be amazing. If you have made the decision to follow Jesus or you're making that decision today to step out of the grave, that we would love to celebrate with you and mark that today with baptism. Imagine what it would look like if we linked arms and looked at the person next to you and just said, I'm with you. On the screen, you'll see this picture of, of my cousin. His name was uh, Ricardo Rolando Richards. And in January of 1990, uh, he tragically passed away, him and his wife, in a car accident. And it wrecked our whole family. I mean, I remember growing up in family reunions and people would bring up his name and you, you, there was this 15, 20 second pause and my mother still weeps when she talks about him. Even though there's joy, she still weeps. Listen, lamenting doesn't mean the pain goes away. He died in January of 1990. Unbeknownst to anyone there, a year later, I'd be born in February, 1991. And he's my namesake, I was named after him. Why do I bring that up? Just yesterday, I randomly walked into my dad's closet and I was just, just in there, was putting something down and I saw this jacket and I was like, oh, this is tough. I, I need this for like a thrift piece. And I go to my dad and I said, dad, can I, can I wear this jacket? I promise you, I can't make this up. This is all God. And he says, absolutely. But just know your aunt gave me that jacket to remember Ricky after he passed, this was his jacket. And at my jaw dropped knowing that I would be giving this message, knowing I'm like, what? And it was as if God in that moment said, he's with me and I'm with you. And you need to hear that this morning, that he is with you. That you can trust God with your deepest pain and brokenness because he is with us. So during this next song, I want you to think, what's the first thing that comes to mind if God were to ask you right now, what can I do for you? What's the pain point? What is the loss? What is the grief? What is the moment that you can remember? Can I tell you, you can bring it to him raw and honestly. You can take it to Jesus. Jesus.